This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. I haven't preached in a month and a half, so we just kind of told the kids workers, get ready, I'm preach for about an hour tonight, okay? It's going to be good. I'll tell you what, I got word from the Lord for you tonight. Today, I'm going to be speaking on the topic of you have permission to get excited. You have permission in life, wherever you are, to get excited today. Uh, I want to let you know just kind of where we're going to the next week. Next week is Seek Week. Kicks off on Sunday. It is our church's birthday. We will be officially 11 years old, y'all. We are growing up, okay? So excited. I'm going to be sharing a message on Sunday that is really, it's, I, I promise you, share it with staff today. I think I yelled the whole way through it. I'm so excited, y'all. I can't wait. It's the best 90-minute message you ever heard in your life. It's going to be so, somebody just caught that. One of you. That's, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. But then, uh, really, it, this week is all about seeking God and serving our community. And so Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night right here, we have at 7 p.m. prayer services. Please don't miss it. All of our staff are speaking. If you saw the five-on-fives, it's just going to be phenomenal. They're sharing. And then we get to Wednesday. And Wednesday, we call that an intergenerational prayer night. So our student ministry normally meets. And so they're going to be here. And if y'all were here last year, y'all, it is a ball. You're going to leave with your heart filled. You don't want to miss that. Then we're off on, really we're off on Thursday. We come back here for a small meeting for serve day on Friday. And then we're rolling into serve day, which is a week from Saturday. Uh, we really are, we have right now over 150 people have signed up to serve in projects all over our community. It's going to be a great, great day. All right. So we're going to get back into a groove that we started earlier this year. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you. Uh, as we read the word of the Lord today, I'm going to invite you to stand up just to give you context. How many of y'all know Easter is not just, you know, a holiday this resurrection stuff, is an, it's an all-year thing. And so I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture, Luke 23. And I'm going to share with you, as I read through this, just a perspective of what was happening in the moment of the crucifixion. It was dark now, about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what had taken place or what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good, upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now going to Pilate, 
He asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen and cloth, and placed it in the tomb cut in the rock, one which no one had been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Let's pray. Father, as we pause and reflect on this moment, I pray tonight, God, that you would, through your majesty, in the presence of your Holy Spirit, Father, that you would give us permission to get excited. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Touch somebody while you're taking your seat and just say, hey, you have permission to get excited. Tonight, that's what we're going to be talking about. I want you to think about this for yourself. How do you react to the unknown? How do you react to the unknown? Think about this. The disciples in the moment that we were reading about were in a moment of the unknown. What is going to happen? What are they going to do to us? What's next? I thought he was going to be the king. Unknown. How do you in your heart, in your life, with the decisions you make and the emotions you entertain, how do you interact with the unknown? I want to make a simple observation. This is in your notes as we get started. Fear is how we often react to what's unknown. This is our most common reaction when we do not know what is going to happen. Fear within us writes a story that projects worst-case scenarios, and worst-case outcomes. I can't get my daughter on the phone. She must have been in a wreck. I know none of y'all have ever thought that before or had a parent think that about you, right? Worst-case scenarios, that's what fear does. Fear lives in the unknown. Fear of failure. If I do that, I'm going to fail. I don't know the outcome. Fear of rejection. If I try or if I put myself out there, people are going to reject me. I do not know what it will be like. I'm assuming in the unknown there will be rejection. Fear of experiences. Fear of heights. I hate heights. Anybody else like heights? I just, man, I don't, you're not going to get me on a zip line, okay? Fear of things. Fear of snakes, right? I don't like snakes. Anybody here like snakes? Haley, don't raise your hand. We all know. Everybody knows. Okay? Snake is a weird pet. I'm just going to say it. Okay? Okay? Just going to say it outright. It is a weird pet. If you go over to somebody's house and they have a snake as a pet, especially if they've lost a snake as a pet, okay? Just saying. 
I'm not, I don't want to eat dinner here anymore. I'm just going, I'm going to go home. I don't like snakes, okay? That's it. You can, that's good target practice, right? You just get the shotgun and you shoot it, okay? Fear of things, though. What? What is that? I don't, I don't know how this is going to work out. And so I project what is the worst case that could happen to me. A snake going to bite me, okay? Well, it's probably not going to bite you. Probably going to leave you alone. Worst case scenarios, worst case outcome. Now, I want to make a point here because this needs to be said. Fear, at least for tonight's talk, I'm going to differentiate between fear and dread, okay? The Webster's Dictionary actually posted this last month. I love this. Look at this. Fear is a general term that implies anxiety and usually the loss of courage, okay? Dread usually adds to that idea an intense reluctance to face or meet a person or situation, suggesting an aversion as well as anxiety. In other words, I know that going to school or going to work is going to be horrible, so I'm dreading it. I know that. I've been there. I know it's a horrible place. Fear is I don't know. Fear is the unknown. Fear lives in the unknown. Dread lives in the known. So what unknown for you does fear live in? Just right now, just process this with me. For you. Is it when you think about the future? When I think about the future, fear is telling me worst case scenario. Many of us have a lot of fear in our politics, okay? Because we think, oh, if that person gets, it's going to be them. If that person, it's just fear. Fear of what's going to happen with my spouse. Are they going to choose somebody else? Is something going to happen to them? Are they going to get sick? Fear. Fear with our kids. Are they going to make bad decisions? Are they going to go that way? And the fear. It's the fear about your job. I'm, I'm going to go in one day. They're going to give me a pink slip. I won't have a job anymore. It's the fear about money. It's a simple thing that I want you to see tonight. That because the unknown is where fear lives, it is also where worry lives. Because worry is rooted in fear. And so many of us spend so much of our lives worrying about so many things. And it's really an expression of fear. I mean, there are some of us that grew up in homes. Y'all listen to me. Because, okay, my parents aren't here. I can say this tonight, okay? I grew up in one of those homes where worry was a love language. And we were sold a lie that you don't love somebody if you don't worry about them. So when the Bible says, do not worry about anything, apparently the Bible was just lying. Now worry is, we know this clinically, worry is a secondary emotion to fear. It's an expression of fear. And they're both connected to the unknown. 
So why, if you pay attention to the story, this is one of those stories, right? When, when, when people say that the Bible dehumanizes women, the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus actually gives a lot of credit to the women who are around him, okay? Because if you pay attention to the story we just read, the disciples peace out because they're scared. And the women stay behind to prepare the body of their friend for burial. Why did the disciples run? I mean, you know, like Sunday morning, who finds Jesus? It was the women. And they got to go run back and tell the disciples because they're hiding. Why were they hiding? Because they were worried. They were worried. If they did that to him, what will they do to me? Are they going to try to kill me? Are they going to put me in prison? What's next? They were worried. See, worry fills in the gaps of the unknown with fear. So worry does. And here's the truth about me and about you. We all have gaps in our knowledge. We all don't know. You're not God. I'm not God. It means you know a little and I know a little. This is why actually why coming to places like this is good for you. You don't even know this until you get in a room like this. Because see, I'm not exhaustive. The Bible never describes me as an exhaustive. I'm not. I am finite, not infinite. And so when the Bible talks about Christ in me, it's not all of Christ in me. It's not all of God's wisdom in me. So I come in a room like this, and now it's the Christ in you and the Christ in you. And there's something glorious about the gathering of God's people. A room like this where the Christ in me and the Christ in you converge. I'm not exhaustive in my wisdom. Nobody is. Only God is. So that means there's gaps in what I know. And I saw that and I know that. And fill in the rest with worry and fear. That's how many of us have operated. But have you ever stopped to consider how much in your life is truly unknown? I mean, realistically, how much in your life is truly unknown? I mean, I've had friends who lost their house overnight in a house fire, who lost their kids in a car accident, who lost one of my best friends in college, lost his dad on his way home from college never realizing that these things that we think I'm just going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be just like it is today. There's so much that's unknown. I mean, we feel secure financially until your transmission drops and all of a sudden you got to pay $3,000, put another one in there. Or the AC goes out. 
or you have something happen in your house and it wasn't insured. We all feel secure. It's unknown. We all feel secure until something that we never thought would ever happen happens in a relationship. One of the things that happens when you get around, I love being around pastors. Some of my best friends are pastors. But you get around some old pastors, and the first thing you notice is nothing surprises them anymore. Oh, they did that? No, okay. Not surprised. Oh, they did that? Wasn't wise, but not surprised. Why? Because they've seen it. There's nothing. I mean, listen. I'm pretty sure tomorrow my wife's going to like me, but there's no security in that, okay? I know that I can be very difficult to live with some days. And I can't count the times I've had to minister to somebody who had lived a job, sacrificed their kids, sacrificed their family just to go to work every day and give their absolute best for decades only to be pink slipped because the company finally realized they could hire somebody right out of college for about half of what they were paying them. Didn't know it was going to happen. Jesus in Matthew 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, says, and don't worry about anything. It's like a Bob Marley song, okay? Don't worry about a thing. He didn't say the exact words, but you know, it was close. He says this, actually, he begins this, he says, Look at the birds of the air. Did y'all know that bird watching is actually like a real thing? Okay, like people love to watch birds. Apparently, Jen's one of them. Okay? And he says, Jesus says, no. Have you ever looked? They don't plant, but somehow they have something to eat. I mean, if you think about it, have you ever seen a bird having a nervous breakdown? (laughs) No, they're not worried. They're not. Jesus, look at them. Now, don't worry about clothes. Right? How many of y'all worry about clothes? I worry about clothes, okay? I changed my shirt two times before tonight. I finally decided I'm just going to go with the black because it doesn't make me look as fat, okay? That's why. All right? (laughs) But Jesus says literally, don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about clothes. Look at the flowers in the field. Solomon in all of his splendor was not dressed as well as these. And then he makes this really, this is actually a very confrontational statement. Says only pagans run after those things. Like those seem like pretty reasonable things to go after. Like I want to try to feed my family and make sure my kids have clothes. And he's like, no. And he says this, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough of its own trouble. How many of you are like, amen to that? Right? Each day. Jesus is literally saying for Jesus, I mean, what he said is don't try to figure out tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't try. I know you only know this much. Don't try to fill in the gaps. Don't try to worry about today. 
focused on today. Because for Jesus, we can't figure out tomorrow. So we need to focus on what's right in front of us. And we need to walk away from worry because worry is a robber. Worry is a thief. Not only will it steal time from you and energy and effort, it will actually steal things that matter in life. See, worry will rob you of gratitude. Because worry will get you trying to figure out what's going to happen and getting you looking at the negative things that you think are going to happen. And it'll get you not looking It'll get your eyes off the blessings that God has already brought into your life. It'll rob you of gratitude. Do you know that most counselors and clinical psychologists will say that one of the simplest things that we can do for our mental health is focus on gratitude? I tell my kids all the time, this is the trick, okay? you got a stinky attitude today. Tell me five things that you're thankful for. Give me five things. Sometimes like, Dad, thankful that I'm here. And I'm thankful that you, you love me. You know, it's just... But if you really do, like if you really focus on what you have to be thankful, it's really hard to worry. Worry will rob you from seeing the goodness of God. Because it gets you looking at everything that you think could be negative about your life. All the projections and worst case scenarios. And it'll get you not looking at how God has always been there for you throughout your life over and over and over again. See, you were not created by God to live in fear and worry. You were created by God to live in faith. Hebrews 11 says, that's the only way, it's, this is the only way we please God is by living this way, living by faith. God made you to live by faith. So are you, let's just get real, okay? Are you facing the unknowns in your life through faith or fear. I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't know what's happening with my kid. I, I, I don't know what's happening with my job. Are you facing the unknown with fear or faith? Tonight, I want to give you permission to have something better. It's really all found through the power of hope. The power of hope. Think about the disciples. They're in that moment. Their leader, Jesus, has just been crucified. And they watched it happen. They watched Him betrayed. They watched Him executed. But Jesus, in His wisdom, prior to that moment, had given them everything they needed to walk through that circumstance in a different way. He'd already prophesied His death. He'd already prophesied, it's just going to be three days. 
They could have walked through those days differently. You are going to have to decide how you're going to walk through life. Will you live by fear or will you live by faith? Here's the big idea for tonight, and I'm going to give you three applications to this. Faith gives us permission to hope. Faith gives us permission to hope. Now leave that up there for a second. I've said this before, but it bears repeating in this moment, hope implies the presence of a problem. We don't need hope when everything's okay. Okay? If everything's hunky-dory, everything's the way it should be, we don't need hope. Hope implies that things are not as they should be. Faith in those moments, faith gives us permission to believe something about the unknown that is quite different than what fear wants to write in your heart. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now notice, this is a very cryptic definition of faith. It's often quoted. But what I want you to see here is that the orientation of, of faith is towards hope. It's towards what we do not see. Faith is oriented towards the unknown. And it is the source of authentic See, some of us have been sold a hope that's not real. You can hope in a politician all day long. Not real. You can hope that if I get that prom promotion at work, I'll, I'll finally have enough money and then I'll have time for my family. You can hope in that. Not real. You can hope, man, I just hope they get their act together and everything gets better in our life. You can hope. But hope, real hope, authentic hope, is anchored in who God is. It's faith. So I want to give you a few observations about the implications of hope in our lives. There's going to be three you can statements. You can do this tonight. And number one, this is so important. You can get excited about what God is going to do in the unknown. You can get excited about it. So many of us get fearful, get afraid. This is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is broken and they're going to leave me and I'm going to lose my job. You can get excited about what is going to happen in the unknown. Think about the disciples. They're operating out of fear. They're saying things, they're going to come get us. They're, we're next. We're the ones that they're going to get. But if they were operating in faith, remembering what Jesus had taught them, they could have easily said, it's not over. I don't, I don't know how. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know it's not over. In the middle of what must have been for them one of the darkest few days of their lives. 
Instead of reacting in fear, as Jesus had prepped them, right, for faith, they react in fear, they run. But in hindsight, they would look at that moment as the greatest victory of their lives. Which lets me know, this is so good, what worries you most might be the origin of God's greatest blessing. What worries you the most might actually be fear distracting you from where faith is working and God is cultivating within your life the greatest blessing that you'll receive in that season. God is capable of taking the mundane and turning it into something that's meaningful. He's capable of taking a tragedy and turning it into a triumph. And so many times because the way we interact with the unknown causes us to paint the future with fear instead of taking a Step back and saying, God, I I don't know what you're up to, but you've never failed me. There's been moments in my life when I thought it was all over with, but somehow, God, you showed up in the middle of it and things didn't get worse, they actually got better. I know that I don't know what's going to happen, but I know, God, you're up to something. And I'm going to get excited about what you're doing. Eric Parton, who's one of our uh, overseers, he was here a couple weeks ago, loves this question. Why not choose to believe? Why not? Why, why not choose to believe that God's going to save that child that hasn't turned to Jesus yet? Why not? Choose to believe that God's going to bring healing in your heart where there's only been bitterness. Why not choose to believe that God's going to resurrect the dream? Why not choose to believe it? Why not? You can be excited about what God is going to do in the unknown. Number two. You can find a good gift in every season that God leads you through. I want you to hear that. You can find a good gift in every season that God leads you through. There's sometimes in life we come to stuff that's tough, okay? Come to some stuff, it's, it's just a downright tough time. And we pray, and it's kind of in the middle of the path of our life when we pray, God, would you take this away? Would you take it away? And there's really only two choices there. One is that God is going to take it away, which He often, I don't know if you've paid attention, He often doesn't do that. Because He intends to, number two, He intends to use it to do something good. I think God specializes in taking things that are tough for us and turning it into something that's good. Romans 8, 
28, we quote this a lot. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose in all things. That's the good and the bad. This is why around here you'll hear us say, if it's not good, God's not done. I mean, when you're going through something that's tough, you really only have two choices, right? You can try to figure it out on your own and be absolutely miserable, or you can trust God knowing that though he hasn't removed it, there is a good gift in this season, even though it's tough. You can find a good gift in every season that God leads you through. And then number three, this is one I'm learning right now. You can enjoy the journey and the process. You can enjoy the journey and the process. I recently realized that I'd bought into a lie, and that's that in life you can enjoy things when you finally have earned them, when the work is finally done, when the process is finally complete. Then you can enjoy it. But the work is never done, and the process is never complete, and if we're honest, we never truly earn anything. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus on the cross purchased life for you. And I'm going to tell you something that the devil is going to try to lie to you about this. God wants you to enjoy this life. Now, some of us grew up in churches where we're told that's not the truth. God wants us to enjoy heaven, and that's true. We're supposed to live in this. This isn't our final home. This isn't it. But while you're here, God wants you to enjoy this. You're going, Kevin, where do you get this? Literally from the Bible. That's where it is. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at this. Command them to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You can enjoy your life right now. Where you're at. You don't have to wait until it's all over with or till you have it figured out or till you finally get there. You can enjoy your life right now. Think about that moment again for the disciples. They were scared Jesus was dead. But we know the end of the story. And what's difficult for us is we process stories by knowing the end. Well, he's not going to stay dead, guys. Why are you afraid? And that's where some of us are. There's stuff in our life that feels dead. It might be your marriage. It might be a friendship or a relationship. It might be your job. Maybe it's your finances. For some of us, it's our kids. It's our relationship with our kids. 
Maybe a dream you have that God gave you feels dead. Maybe it's your heart or your emotions. The disciples in that moment could have anchored in faith to what Jesus had taught them, but instead they ran in fear. Because he had told them, you're going to see me dead, but I'm coming back alive. They didn't live with that as the forefront. They didn't. They ran and hid and they were scared. But the reality of that story is Jesus rose from the grave. He came back to life and he encountered them. And the same men who were scared to death now filled with the Holy Spirit and encounter with God on the other side of that now turn the world upside down because they're no longer afraid. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, what more can he do in this world? So maybe tonight you need God to resurrect something in your life. Maybe there's an area of your life that feels dead. Maybe a relationship. Maybe your job. Maybe your finances your relationship with your kids, your hopes, your dreams, your heart. Here's what's going to happen. We've got a few more minutes left, and we're going to worship. I'm going to invite some of our staff to come to the front. I'm going to pray. We're going to watch a short video. Then we're going to worship. And if you know that there's something in your life that God needs to resurrect, we're here to pray with you. You don't have to live in fear. Fear doesn't have to dominate your perspective of the future. We can live in faith. We can get excited about what God's going to do in our life. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.